This latest episode of the OTOR MXGP Pro Taper podcast comes to you directly after the German Grand Prix, and where we tackle the big questions in the series with Lewis Phillips, temporary on loan from MX Vice, and talk about the main issues and topics that arose from Tuchental with TV commentator Paul Malin. Enjoy, and don't forget to look at protaper.com for all the best and highest quality bars, bits, grips, and accessories. Lewis, thanks for having a chat. I know you've uh, got your own extremely successful podcast, but we just want to do a bit of bench racing here and ask four essential questions just on the eve of the Grand Prix of Germany. Uh, things that people might want to know, uh, maybe talking points you know, involving the 2019 uh, World Championship. The first thing, of course, is that Jeffrey Hernes is not here, reigning world champion, again injured. Uh, second thing, also Tony Cairoli missing in action. I think KTM... Maybe 2015 when Cairoli broke his arm. Lommel, 2015. There was no Red Bull KTM riders in the yeah. premier class. Because then they picked up Simpson the week after in Mantua. And then he won in Assen, Assen that year. So, so it's not a it's it's a familiar well it's a familiar situation you could say, but not really because. KTM won their first Premier Class Championship in 2010, and then for the rest of the decade, they've only missed it twice. So that year in 2016, uh, with Geiger taking the World Championship, and then 15, of course, of Roman Febra winning for Yamaha. So it's, um, it's looking like it might be over after two years of winning World Championships for those guys. Yeah, it's funny. It's almost like, obviously, when Fevre and Geyser were winning their titles, everyone was having the same conversation about, this is a new wave, we're moving on now, Caroli's done. And that was even reflected in some of the contracts that these riders were signing. And then, obviously, we went backwards to where we were in 2014, and then forwards with Hurlins, and now we've somehow found ourselves back in this 2016 kind of era. But, yeah, I don't know how you look at it, obviously, because it's, it's an odd one. Injuries happen. KTM are actually fortunate but they haven't found themselves in this situation too often. Because when you look at it as two riders, it's quite, not common, but it's easy to have two riders injured at the same time. I mean, look at last year, we came close. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's an odd one. It sucks because we need them. Well, like yeah. we really need them. I've noticed that even like MX Vice numbers or anything, as soon as Hurlings came back, everything went up like just in an insane amount. I mean, it's an incredible contrast, isn't it? I mean, Hurlings goes from winning, what, 17 races last year, finishing on the podium in 18 or 19, and then suddenly he's just not here. It's, you know, second injury already this year, and the championship was wiped out, you know, at the end of January. Yeah, it's an odd one. And it's weird as well, because I find that when riders aren't here, they they leave a hole bigger than maybe you'd expect, or in some cases it's the opposite, and you kind of forget they're here. But when Hurlings wasn't here... Everyone, I think, was just waiting and waiting. And then there was this relief. And now we're back to waiting and waiting. And I think I've heard Lommel maybe, but obviously that's a tough one to come back at, but good for him. <laughs> so maybe Imola, Sweden, but still the season's done at that point. So. I mean, Jeffrey's no stranger to injuries or to absences, unfortunately, from Grand Prix. But Tony Cairoli is another thing altogether. I mean, of course, he broke his arm in 2015. And then in 2016, he started the season with that nerve damage in his back and his, his neck. Um, you know, and affected his, his arm throughout the year. But the fact that he's missing this race says quite a lot. I mean, even in 2015, he tried to ride with that fractured right arm, I believe it was. Yep. Uh, so, you know, you can't really say what's going to happen, but you think that the 50 points he's going to miss, even if he does come back to any kind of state of readiness for Indonesia, is going to be tough to peg back. Yeah, that's actually why I'm surprised Crowley isn't here, because he rode, obviously, in 2015 with that arm injury which on paper is way worse than a dislocated shoulder. And I think he was still top 10. I think he was top 10 twice here, like two sevenths maybe. Even Majora, the next 
day after he did the injury, he still went 14-17 or something. So I, I was like hell-bent that he will be here. He'll pick up maybe two-sevenths again or at least do something to salvage, I don't know, a respectable amount of points. And amazingly, in a 14-year Grand Prix career, that's the first dislocated shoulder he's had. I yeah, and it sound like, sounds like he was quite confused last week about what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think that's it then? I mean, Rebel KTM are pretty much looking at, you know, no kind of title defence of any sort, you know, in MXGP this year. It's going to be going somewhere else, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's a foregone conclusion at this point. And now the next question is, do they bring another rider across like they did with Sean in 2015? Obviously, they've got a nice little breed of factory-supported riders in Anstey, Koldenhoff, Tixier, Monticelli even. So it's not like they're short on talent that they could draft over. And depending on how Caroli's scans go next week, they may be looking to... Uh, yeah, if it's a long-term thing, then they need a rider in that in that squad, at least one. Yeah, and obviously if they've got a rider that they don't have to test with, they don't have to get used to the bike, they can literally just bring them across, do a little bit of groundwork, and then be ready to contend for top five's podiums. So you've got to think that's a win-win. And you've got to think somewhere that's in the contract with these teams that they're saying, we'll support you, but at some point you may need to support us, so just bear that in mind. You'd is, think anyway. Is there even someone from the US they could bring over? Someone kind of waiting in the wings? I mean, the first name that pops up is somebody like Brock Tickle. I mean, I don't even know if he's still under suspension or... Uh, I think it's February circuit. 2020. Yeah. I think it'll be after, what, San Diego next year, which would roughly be like the sixth round or whatever. So he's, so. he's out, of, out of action. Yeah. But then that kind of leads on to my next point. You know, the, another big question is Tim Geiger. Uh, he's holding the red play. He's leading the championship. How, you know, do you think he's going to see it through? I mean, he's had some big crashes, another big one in Latvia or big two, or, you know, from what I heard. Yeah, I think that's where some of the... Not frustration, but if you're KTM, you're looking at the crash that Hurlings had, which no one really saw, but it obviously wasn't that big. It was the impact from Jazakonis that caused the injury. You look at the crashes that Karoli's had, and they've both suffered maybe, well, not season-ending injuries, but some significant injury. injuries. And then Geyser's over here backflipping and all sorts <laughs> every week and then jumping right up, and you're kind of looking at that going, well, how's this fair? But he's now gotten up enough times where... I guess we just accept that he can crash and, and it's fine. how many of his nine lives has he used? I mean, it's got I to think be we're at five or five. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, yeah, he can afford a few more. But does he back it down now? I don't think that's really in his kind of uh, notebook of yeah, gameplay. It's, it's but not really his MO, is it? But, you know, is there kind of a rider in the wings that could, you know, surprise? I mean, almost like Febra did in 2015. I mean, he didn't win his first moto on a 450 until like round six, I think, of the championship that year. So, you know, could we could be looking at someone like Arno Tonos or even a Jeremy Sewer to suddenly post consistent results and, and pull themselves up into it? I think we need, whoever can do that will need a lot of help at this point. I think it's 100 points plus or at least hovering around there. So, but then like you say, maybe Geyser has a big crash in qualifying and he doesn't uh, suffer a season-ending injury. But with his points gap, he decides to sit out that weekend. Then that's 50 points gone and then suddenly it's within a realm of possibility. So it's not too ludicrous to think but on paper at the moment it's just tough to envision and if I was Honda I'd be saying the same thing like look it's not over we know that like we can see anything's happened well we've seen that this year but let's be a bit smarter now like let's play the long game yeah I mean you've seen him more than I have this year but I mean Tim won his uh, his, his world championship in his debut season in 16 and you know I seem to hit uh, comments from riders every other weekend about how oh, he's, he's you know he's, he's like one crash away from a season engine injury but it never came I mean he was brilliant that year and then in 2017 you could argue that those those moments of fortune or misfortune caught up with him 
I mean, he was largely, I think he had a shoulder injury, uh, maybe something with his vertebra in 2017. Yep. Um, so, you know, he was struggling from, from the crashes then. I mean, do you think we're on the edge of a 16 or a 17 repeat? Well, that's what I was thinking about this fact this week. Like, it's easy to say now he'll back it down. But look at 16. I think Assen, he was in a position to wrap up the title. He really didn't need to do much, and he crashed his brains out. So clearly, he can't recognise this whole thing of just bring it home, which would make you think you're on the verge of another crash. Is it going to be a championship decider? Uh, it's tough to say, but there will probably be some more crashes. I think that's probably the safe bet at this point. Well, let's bear in mind as well, I think he's still, is he 22 this year? I or think so. He's still very early, he's still very young, you know, for, for like a, you know, an MHGP rider. He's third, third or fourth year in the class. So, you know, that you could be excused for having some of that sort of impetuous reckless abandon even being an HRC rider um, and the progress of sort of Brian Boggers next to him hasn't really helped I mean he's not like a, like a strong or a mature teammate to kind of you know you know uh, guide him in that aspect I mean he's pretty much carrying that team on his shoulders yeah I was going to say that I could maybe offer some uh, insight into the mindset of a 22 23 21 year old but I don't really know what I would be doing in that situation but like you say like <laughs> If you look back to 16, it was a long time ago. Has Geyser really progressed since then? Like, can you look at him this year and that year and go, wow, they're two completely different riders? I don't I think, think, I think so. Can. He so. was that good in 16. Or maybe it was a little bit of a surprise factor, but, um, you know, I don't think he's really reached the kind of level of that year yet. Exactly. So that would maybe make you think that the same pattern is still playing out and we're not seeing a completely different rider who tackles things differently and all of that. So, and I've got in trouble for saying that. People have shouted at me a lot this year over Geyser. <laughs> but it's because I feel like, like people, well, uh, short anecdote here, but Argentina, everyone was going crazy because he was third and, oh, wow, he led laps. That's great for him. And I said that that was still disappointing because we know what he can do. And obviously now he's proven that. So ha to everyone else who shouted at me. But I still think there's even more to give. Like I watch him sometimes and I'm like, is this the start of something greater? Yeah. I think perhaps. But okay. I guess that will come when uh, the crashes stop, if Listen, they do. Third question. Let's bounce back to Red Bull KTM because undoubtedly the most impressive rider in Grand Prix at the moment in any class is uh, Jorge Prado. Um, he's raced eight Grand Prix, won eight Grand Prix. He's won, I don't know, every moto bar one. Um, you know, it seems to be only a matter of time now. Of course, anything can happen. Uh, it almost goes without saying. But... It is the clock is on him stepping into MHGP at the age of 18 at the start of 2020. So, uh, you know, is he ready for it? Uh, I think um, the KTM bosses I've spoken to said yes, undoubtedly he can ride the bigger bike. Um, but the way he's riding at the moment on 250, I'd stick him in, in the class on that. Yeah, he seems very uh, non committal about next year, which makes you think talks are going on. I think I've had this weird timeline with Prado, like Tushin, well, this race last year. I spoke to him about uh, the future in general and said, like, are you still looking to go to America? And his exact words were like, no, I couldn't care less about America. I've forgotten about that. I can't wait to be on a 450. I can't wait to spend the next 10 years with Ducali. So I walked away from that interview thinking, right, that's, we've got his career path mapped out. We know exactly what's going to happen. And then November, I asked him again, kind of off the record a little bit. And there was kind of a little like smirk where he was like, eh, I do like America. <laughs> so now I, I don't know where we lie with this, but I think... Yes, he's ready to go to a 450. Yes, it works perfectly with this whole KTM structure with Dakali. Obviously, Crowley's not going to step out next year, but 
his clock's ticking as well on a, in a different respect. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of, if they're going to play it smart, yeah, it just all works out where you need to get Prado on a 450, not send him to America, not do any of that. It just works. But then could I also, you know, propose the idea that the KTM setup in, you know, with the TLD team in, in North America would probably benefit from a ride of Prado's skills and capability as well. I well, mean, maybe they could use a boost like that at the moment. Yeah, that's where KTM are really in a tough situation because they've kind of got the solution to three different problems and obviously they can't stretch them that far. But from what I've heard, the TLD KTM team do need results <laughs> quite urgently. <laughs> so I'm sure they may be pushing as well saying, oh, hey, um, can we have that guy? Like, he looks like he's quite good on a bike. But then you can't just send him there for a year and bring him back. And then if they send him there, what's Dakarly going to do in a year's time? Like, they'd have to start from scratch. In my mind, the perfect layout is have Prado sat alongside Caroli next year, tell him there's no pressure, because Tony's still going to be a contender, I think that's safe to say. He's got a year to learn, a year to build, and then when Tony does step out, he's in a perfect position to step into that role, challenge Jeffrey, ensure that KTM still have this two-man hierarchy, and everything should, theoretically, work out yeah. perfectly. I mean, that's the irony, because if I was a race team or a race uh, kind of manager for another brand like Kawasaki or Yamaha or Honda, I'd be thinking, right, I've got an MSGP team of Hurlings, Cairoli and Prado. Um, shall I go home now or <laughs> some, uh, at some point in, you know, during the season? Because, you know, to tackle those three would be, you know, a major feat. But then, look, two of them are hurt and they're not here. So it's, uh, it's, it's tough to plan, isn't it? But you'd think, you know, going up against Prado, that, that triumvirate of riders is going to be very, very difficult. That's another example of why it works, pushing him to a 450 vote. They've got two riders hurt right now, so if they're looking at things at the moment, they're going, well, we could do with him. Like, it works in many, many senses. And I'd, I would honestly be shocked to see him go otherwhere than uh, the MXGP class next year. I mean, I cannot underline how impressive he is on any kind of terrain or in any kind of condition. Um, you know, he, I mean, even Davide De Carli, like the assistant team manager over there, uh, in that section of Red Bull KTM is saying he's never seen... Uh, Jorge on such a level um, you know do you think he's, he's the most impressive rider we've seen so far this year oh yeah without a doubt even the way that he bounced back from that shoulder injury in March like I think everyone was prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt like build yourself back up and he just came straight back immediately dominant hasn't given anyone a glimmer of hope like that's impressive on any level I think that some people do get confused sometimes because his starts obviously influence the stats that he's racking up do they influence it? Yeah, sure. Does that take something away from what he's doing? I don't think so, because like we saw last week, uh, Olsen was right with him at the start of the second moto, and that was the chance for someone to yeah. like do on, something with him. On that track especially. And nothing happened. So, like, yeah, if you look at it for face value, the start, he's getting the whole shot and he's winning. Okay, that's kind of the best way to do things. But the way what's happening in between the start and the checkered flag is ridiculously impressive once you dive a little deeper. Yeah, I mean, aside from just, just the, the, the form and, and the riding, the starts alone make him the best rider in Grand Prix. I mean, it's a ridiculous amount of hole shots now, I think, in the last two years. Just imagine what it'll be like on a 450. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goodness. Um, moving on to the last question, let's leave KTM for a moment because, um, you know, there's, there's gathering rumours around Yamaha. They've got two teams in MSGB, four riders. Uh, that could drop to one next year. And if that's the case, then you've got Jeremy Sewer, Arno Tonus, the, the Swiss double, um, and you've got Roman Febra, who probably the most impressive, I think, since that 2015 title winning season coming into this year yep. before that injury. And then, of course, Gautier Paulin, his first year back on a Yamaha. Um, you know, if you had to sort of 
whittle down that group of four riders down to two to ride in blue next year? I mean, who would be your pick? Or, I mean, is it dangerous also just to take a, um, a selection based on current form? Well, that's where I think it's a bit skewed because I actually ran a poll on MX Vice this week saying based on current form or in this current landscape, who would you sign out of the riders who are free for next year? And Tonus had the most votes far and away. Ask that question a month ago, he would have had 0%. So I think it's easy to get swept up in that. But, and kind of, that's why if I was a Yamaha team manager, I'm still taking Fevra and Sewer because you've got one guy who can win and you've got one guy who can potentially win. And I think that's kind of what you need. But obviously, that's then a dangerous game to play. <laughs> Do you think, like, Gautier Paulin's, you know, I mean, I've known him a long time. He's a very professional guy. But do you think he's like a cup final rider? I mean, he seems to excel on a particular day. I mean, his, nation, his record at the Motocross of Nations is, is quite outstanding. Um, but do you think, you know, over the course of the championship, he's been found wanting? Well, if you look at the fact that he excels on a particular day, that day was quite a long time ago now. What, you're looking at Volkenswar 2017 on a Husky? That's the last time that he really years, yeah. kind of showed what he can do. So that's a worrying prospect for a team manager anyway. And since then... But do you sure. just bank on the professionalism and, and maybe the quality and, and think, you know, he's got to click at some point? I think that works for a team manager and that works in theory. But then in this Yamaha situation, you've got to put him alongside Fevra, who has a lot of those same quali qualities, yet is delivering more than Gautier at the moment. So... It's crazy to say, but I think Gautier, a former GP winner who's done amazing things, is a risk, especially with the money and everything that comes along with what you have to do to sign him. And it's coming up to sort of that silly season phase, really, where we'll start to know where riders are going to be next year. I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of saddles that are all locked up, but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on uh, that development of Yamaha. So... But Lewis, listen, thanks ever so much for joining us for a chat. It's good just to get a few subjects out in the air and, uh, and chew through them. And then uh, we'll see uh, what happens this weekend here at round 10. 10? 9? 10. Yep. Thanks for having me. This one's a lot... I'm a lot more nervous doing this one than I am my own. Because, uh, <laughs> what, Thailand 2013, was it? I was listening to your podcast, so... Oh, OK. Well, I don't... Sitting a lot opposite the table from you is quite weird, but <laughs> here I am. Thanks. Post-race here at the uh, German Grand Prix. We're in the old press room. Paul Malin joining me again uh, just to dissect the, uh, the Grand Prix here, the 10th round, Paul. Um, let's start off. The results have been the same today as they have been for the last couple of weekends. Tim Geiger winning in MXGP. Jorge Prado dominant again in MX2. It's interesting, though, today that Jorge Prado, especially saying he didn't find much flow on a track, a track that was pretty difficult, it has to be said. Uh, Tim Geiger also slipping off in the first moto, so they weren't vintage performances by any means, but still pretty simplistic for the guys. I mean, I don't think they were barely challenged for, for the lead in both races. So um, my question is, do you think, you know, the writing's on the wall? I think Geiger has an 83-point lead now in MXGP over Tony Cairoli, who is absent, of course, today, and Jorge Prado's nearly up to 45 points in MX2 over Thomas Kier Olsen. So... Where do you want to start, MX2 or MXGP? I, I, Jorge Prado, I think for me, is the most outstanding athlete at the moment in Grand Prix. Uh, you're talking about a perfect blend of starts. He insists that it still isn't easy to win, and of course that's the cliche, it's never easy to win. But goodness, he's making it look so simple. Well, with 14 foxhole shots after today, um, everybody talks about start. Start is key, and... Um, when you give somebody of his pedigree, of his, of his talent, his style, his poise, everything, uh, his ability, obviously, then 
he puts himself in a very good position right from the very, you know, first drop of the gate. And um, everybody else is left picking up the pieces. Um, obviously, it's not impossible because we saw with uh, Iago Kiet in France, if you get him, I'm not going to say on an off day, but if you if you catch the moment right, like Iago Kiet did, you know, then it's possible. He's not unbeatable, but it's not happening uh, as often as it should be. You know, one defeat in all the races that he's done. Um, yeah, it's, it's, seven, it's crazy. 17 moto wins from 18. I mean, it's inconceivable that he <clears> goes through the season. We've had these scenarios before with Jeffrey Hurlings where we wonder, you know, is, is he going to have the perfect gear? He can't do because he's missed the British Grand Prix already. But uh, it's hard to see who can beat him. Yago Gertz, you mentioned just there, having a bad day today, having a, a DNF, a mechanical in that second mm. moto. But, you know, Rebel KTM themselves, I mean, they, they came here without a rider in the MHGP class and went 1-2 in MX2. Mm. I mean, talk about saving the situation. Well, we've had 20 races and Rebel KTM in MX2 have taken six, uh, 18 whole shots. Only Darren Sinai and Roman Amostike in Portugal have scored the other two Fox whole shots, you know. So they are doing something very, very right at the start. Um, it's just unfathomable as to... This, the level of consistency that KTM have when it comes to getting their bikes out of the gate and giving their guys the best chance. Um, when you look at, like you say, Prado never lined up at Great Britain. He's just won the last eight Grand Prix on the bounce, nine in total this, this year. Um, it's hard to see past that. Only he can be the sort of, uh, you know, the creator of his own downfall, if you like. Um, bit of a cliche, only he can beat him, you know. Um, but when you have the inconsistency, Thomas Kerr also now second in the championship, missed the podium again for the second time this this season. Um, Is he entering another mid-season dip a little bit? Like I hope not. I hope not because we need to get him back on track and we need him to challenge for those points, take those points away from uh, Prado. But having said that, fantastic day for the two guys that joined him on the podium. Uh, Tom Vial got a second in race one, his career best, and followed that up with second overall. And Matthijs Borromei um, finishing second in the last race and picking up his first MX2 podium, the last year's MX250 champion, third overall today. Yeah. We like to hark on about, you know, Switzerland really emerging, you know, as like, a, you know, a prominent nation in MXGP. But in the press conference today from the MX2, EMX250 and the EMX125 classes, we had four Frenchmen out of the five guys sitting there. So mm. France still filtering through this talent. Yeah, and... You only have to look at the motocross nations, uh, the work that the FFM put in, you know, the French Federation, and they've been doing it for years. You know, whether it's Supercross in the winter, their summer series, like this weekend, for instance, those guys that don't do GPs, they're doing the summer series, first round of the Supercross Championship. And they've always had that, probably because of the success of Jean-Michel Bale, maybe um, just before that, uh, Jackie Vimond, you know, they got that first world title with Vimond. Bale followed up on that, and then not long after that, Tortelli and this, you know, this array of uh, top talent came through, and they want to capitalise on that, and they are doing everything. You don't see the Great Britain Motocross Nations coach at every Grand Prix. Um, you don't see the Spanish Nations coach. You don't see the uh, the Italian Nations coach. You know, Thomas Travesini comes to a lot, but he doesn't go to all. But they have their guy every round. And he's talking to European Championship riders, he's talking to MX2 riders, he's talking to at MXGP riders at all levels. And they already have that relationship. No one's scared when, um, you know, Fino uh, turns up 
and enters thereon and because they are all on a friendly, familiar basis. And that might be part of their success in bringing these guys through. It's an example to follow. I mean, that's for sure. Um, let's look in, in MHGP. Tim Geish has now won the last five Grand Prix. Um, you know, he went from a situation pretty terrible in Mantova where he was chasing Tony Cairoli to the tune of 30 points and now it's a complete turnaround. <clears throat> well, I refer to that as crash fest uh, in the live commentary <laughs> because he couldn't stay on the bike. Yeah. It was like, and I don't mean this disparagingly or disrespectfully, but, you know, in, um, I don't know, Portugal, he gave Tony a riding lesson. Then we go to France, you know, but before that in Lombardia, six overall. It's like the guy forgot how to ride a bike. It's a, it's a bit of a bogey track. I mean, it was only last year that he smashed, you yeah. know, but his lower face to pieces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's never been, really been good to him. But you come away from there, 40 points down. You go to Portugal, you come away, I think it was like, uh, was it 33 or something like that? And then all of a sudden, from uh, Mantova, Lombardia, you go Portugal, you go France, and then you go Russia. And by the time you end up in Latvia, before the start, he's taken 53 points more than Tony Cairoli. It's, you can't get your head around it. Tony's had some you know, luck issues, he's had some crashes, he's had some poor qualifying races as well. But the, you know, when Geiss's wheels fell off his championship chase in, in, in Mantua, Cairoli's fell off after France, second race, starting with the second race. I asked him uh, earlier in an interview if he was riding as well as he did in 2016, his first season when he won the World Championship. Mm. He, he was a little coy in you know, trying to make a comparison. I mean, he's been through two years of injury problems since then, and he admitted last year, after that big smash in Mantua pre-season, that his confidence was dented. But, I mean, he's really looking like the real deal. But, I, I mean, I think key to the results in France... Um, less so Latvia, maybe in Russia, you know, a similar track to this one in many respects has been the fact that HRC have got that bike working tremendously well out of the gate. Um, on most of the time, as we saw all through 2018, the KTMs were very much the 450s to have from the line. But, um, you know, the, the Honda now is extremely competitive. And I think on this track here today that we can see outside the window now bathed in the fantastic last ebbs of sunlight, I mean, you know, it was key to be in the top three. It was. And... Um but you still have to ride the track. You have to respect the track. And maybe early on in the first race, Geiser didn't. You know, he made that mistake, uh, lost a six-second advantage. It was down to nothing because as he got on, Siwa tried to sneak up the inside. Geiser just, he didn't do the whole, you know, mirror signal maneuver thing. He just pulled out in front of oncoming traffic. And that stalled the momentum of uh, Siwa. So, but he rectified it. You know, the next lap, he was back out of four seconds and six seconds, and he controlled the race. So that on its own is a telltale sign. You know, he, he was in a good frame of mind coming here right from the very first lap, and his riding showed. This track here, Torquesel, is one of the most, I think, distinctive circuits we've got on the World Championship. I mean, if I cast my memory back now off the top of my head, uh, riders like Andrea Bartolini having a high-speed crash, finishing his career here, in fact. Uh, Mark Deruva also picked up a pretty serious injury. It's always been a fast, hard pack, narrow, difficult to pass. We haven't seen amazing classic races here it's been very much a case of getting out front Arno Tonis again you know finished on the podium for the fifth Grand Prix in a row mentioned it was almost like an enduro style where you really had to kind of settle in find your lines and just work your way through it I think you look at it and say okay some tracks you can race and some you have to ride in respect and today was one of those circuits that you definitely had to ride it you race it it's going to bite you in the ass and um 
it did bite a couple of people in the arse, unfortunately. Um, but, um, but I thought overall, when you look at the bigger picture in terms of this racetrack this weekend, temperatures reaching 30 degrees and we had high winds and they were hot winds as well. It was always going to be a track manager's nightmare to try and keep on top of every little situation. Yeah, you can water the hell out of it, you know, but at the end of the day, certain parts you can't because of shiny takeoffs and landings. You have to be a little bit careful there. Uh, you can rip a few corners a little bit here and there, get some moisture in. They'll soon, you know, get sticky, but you do go from sticky to hard to slick to loose to drying ruts to soft ruts. It literally had everything this weekend. Um, and I think the, the riders found that difficult to deal with. Yeah, the riders know this place, uh, except for Tom Vial, who made the podium here on his first appearance. But, you know, I think if there's any criticism that can be pointed at, at the track today, it was just maybe some of the, the watering could have been a bit more careful with the takeoffs and the landings. But like you say, I mean, some of the conditions, Jeremy Van Horbeek, I remember being blown off the start, finished uh, the finish line yeah, jump. Ago. Yeah, and just, you know, very lucky to escape serious injury. So it, it's a testing place. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's a couple more injuries uh, Ben Watson breaking his left hand yesterday heading back for surgery you'll be lucky to be back for Lommel uh, and Julian Lieber as well I'm not sure if he's got a broken elbow but certainly some sort of arm problem yeah I spoke to um, the Kawasaki crew before we came back on air for MX2 race 2 and um, their press team I asked and they said at the moment it's an arm injury and then literally two minutes later Francois Lamaurier team manager came back with Julian his arm in a sling and um, and I said what is the, the diagnosis? And he just said uh, elbow, broken elbow, broken either side of the joint um, in two yeah. places, basically. He said, yeah, it's not good, um, but this is what it is. And um, I said, I'm okay to say that in the broadcast. Yeah, why not? We put a PR out soon. Yeah. So it was literally fresh off the horse's mouth, you know, and um, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but, you know, like DeSalle in, in Russia, there is a very real prospect. Well, there is. The, the Monster Energy Kawasaki, unless they find replacement riders, those bikes are staying in Holland. They're not getting collected on Tuesday or Wednesday for uh, Indonesia. Yeah, and the same possibly said for Red Bull KTM because you can't see Jeffrey Hurlings making it back in two weeks' time. In fact, I think he has to wear like a cast and an air boot for a fortnight. Tony mm. Cairoli will have another check on his shoulder in 10 days. Mm. Uh, if he's not feeling you know, pain-free, uh, that was the main problem stopping him riding here, then uh, we could be without two factory teams in Indonesia. But um, Mitchell Evans as well, worth mentioning, um, you know, on the 114 Motorsports Honda, he set out the second moto, just had a crash in the, the first, had a very tight lower back. Uh, so team manager Louis Lancer was explaining that situation. I think, Paul, um, it's just been a very strange uh, kind of whirlwind of accident and incident over the last few weeks because, you know, if you look back to what was last season, there were not that many injury problems um, and now we've just had like a, a kind of a series even from the first Grand Prix in Argentina where Roman Febre was unlucky to, to break his ankle his foot so it's, uh, it's, it's a shame of course it is I and mean, we've seen people you know racing then trying to play catch up and then invitate, you know, inviting perhaps more disaster mm, I mean it's one of those situations yes it's unfortunate when a rider goes out but when riders go out that's even more so um, yes, we are looking a little bit thin on the ground, but it's not often you have a season that is decimated by injuries, unfortunately. And I didn't see the Julian Lieber one. We only saw the aftermath of him, you know, his bike on the side, him sat on the top of the, the first jump out of the first turn. And um, so not sure what happened there. I did see Paul's Jonas crash there in um, practice yesterday. Seemed to sort of G out in the bottom and just lost control. Handlebars got snatched out of his hand. So I wonder if it was something like that because it was far too early 
to even suggest that it was a scrub because the bike hadn't even cleared the jump. It was, you know, 10 meters yeah, from the, from the top. Stuck on the wall. Of stuck the, on the yeah. wall, yeah. So um, I don't think it was a scrub. I think he just lost control of the motorcycle. How and why? I have no idea. Uh, and until we see it, we never will. And maybe Julian is the only one that can help out with that one. But um, unfortunate for him. Uh, ben Watson also had nowhere to go. Um, you know, I know why they do it. They put these sort of, you know, square mounds of dirt around to stop people sort of using that bank because there's a big sweeping bank uh, around this long left-hander. Um, it defines it the track boundary a bit more. Yes, it does. And um, they did away with the green fencing years ago to put the trust in the riders. But as soon as they sniff one of those posters gone, then they, you know, take the piss with that, if you like. And when one or two of those markers go, then there is no track boundary. And so by putting those uh, mounds of dirt there, I get it. But in Ben Watson's case, he was on a fast lap in free practice, came up short on the uh, step down, or the step up just before it, got out of shape, and had to get on the gas, Jackie Vimon said, just to sort of straighten himself out. But unfortunately, hit one of those things and was over the handlebars. So all I would say is, as an ex-rider, I would prefer some kind of tough blocks there. At least they move, you know, sure. and maybe then the, the impact isn't so great. And in this case, hasn't taken somebody out of the Grand Prix and out of the next few rounds and out of fifth place in the championship where he could have been challenging for fourth. On the subject of Yamaha, that's another talking point from today because Wilvo, Monster Energy, Wilvo Yamaha uh, had two riders for the first time uh, on the podium in Arno Turnus and Gautier Paulan. Paulan returning to the box for the first time since round five after a few dodgy Grand Prix where he's been crashing, uh, not producing the results. Uh, and it's also created a situation in the World Championship where we have three Yamaha riders, third, fourth and fifth, split by one point. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, the, this is... In a football terminology, it's been a season of two halves in the first half of the season for Gauthier Paulin. You know, he took three podiums from the first five rounds, round two, uh, four and five, and they were all third-place finishes. His teammate, Arno Tonus, got fourth at the fourth round. Other than that, he was not even in the top ten, but then all of a sudden, you know, like you say, five podiums on the bounce uh, with a third, two seconds and a third, and today second. Gauthier, meanwhile, 10, 10, 14 and seven and then third today. So, you know, the level of, of consistency and inconsistency, I think Gautier related to it, uh, referred to it in the post-race TV interview where he said he had a crash in Portugal. And that's been the start of those problems. But hopefully now we see him, you know, building on that and uh, making a real push. But yeah, unprecedented for Yamaha to have three guys battling for third place in the championship one point part. Two of them teammates. Yeah. <laughs> Feeding off the Yamaha thing, let's just uh, wrap up here by tackling a couple of the rumours uh, for, for 2020. The city season kind of stuttering a little bit with the injuries going on. But the first one we're hearing of is uh, Roman Febra uh, with the Yamaha since 2015. Could be moving to pastures new, uh, poss possibly going to KRT for 2020 or even Husqvarna. Um, a change. I mean, if he goes to Husky, then it will be back to the brand where he won his first Grand Prix in MX2. Finished third in MX2 in the championship. Yep. Uh, and Kawasaki would be linking him with Clement de Salle and what would be a very, very strong team, you'd say. Yeah, it's strange, actually, because um, I heard the Kawasaki rumour on Friday and I just thought, what? wow, really? You know? Um, is it just a rumour? I don't know. Is it already a done deal? That's the other thing. 
Um, you know, other people say, no, it's already done and this, that and the other and blah, blah, blah. But um, it's the crazy thing with silly season. It is just a rumor and, um, but there's no smoke without fire either. So if he has been linked to two other teams, then, um, you know, what do they say? Loose lips, uh, sink <laughs> ships or whatever it is. And, and in that respect, um, you know, if you don't want anybody to know, then you don't tell anybody. You know, you just have your deal with the, the conversation with the team owner or the team manager and that's it. But if you're turning up at a workshop thinking it's secret, yeah, then that's a whole different thing. But, you know, um, at the moment he's a Yamaha rider and he will remain a Yamaha rider until the end of the year, that's certain. And I'm sure he will be highly motivated to try and finish as high up the championship as he can um, after missing a few rounds. Loose, li- loose lips sink ships. Is that some Second World War reference it there? You're showing, be, your, yeah. showing your age. No, I heard it on TV the other day and I thought, all oh, right, okay, never heard that before. <laughs> and we're in that uncharted territory again. Well, so one factor when it comes to February is that he started the year, he started pre-season looking... You know, the best shape he has since he surprised everyone in 2015. And that was thanks to his work with Jackie Vimond and also training a lot with Ben Watson. So if he does switch to white or to green and Jackie Vimond's very firmly ensconced in, in Yamaha, mm. then maybe that will be a, another shakeup for, for Febra. But um, staying with Kawasaki, another rumor, of course, you know, Clement de Salle out for probably the, the, the rest of the season with his broken leg. Julian Lieber now in trouble. Mm. Uh, KRT struggling desperately for riders. Tommy Sell being linked with a switch from the boss uh, Kawasaki team to cover that that void there. Mm. Uh, you know, it, Tommy, it's probably half a dozen times he's been linked with that ride. You know, he's kind of very, a Kawasaki stalwart, if you like, even from the beginning of the decade. So mm. if that happens, uh, it could be interesting. Last six rounds maybe in green. Yeah, it could. Um, you know, like you can look at the, the boss uh, team that have uh, Bob Chef and Tommy Searle. Um, Bobby's injured. From an outside perspective, is it worthwhile pumping money to send just one rider to Indonesia when really you want to send two? Okay, half the cost. But is it better investing that money um, into next year, for instance? And I don't know, Kawasaki... Uh, yeah, they're down to no riders at the moment in, uh, in, in Monster Energy and they need factory representation. Yeah, and sponsors to and, and satisfy. And sponsors to yeah. satisfy, you know. Uh, it's not cheap entering the full season of World Championship. Um, yeah, but they well, these are, points yeah. and everything else. You and know, these, it's, yeah, they're not short-term injuries either. No, they're not. And, like, you know, one race here and there is, is not a problem. You just go, okay, we suck it up and, and move on. But when you've got to sell... I broke a tip fib when I was 15. And it was a compound fracture. And I remember the, I remember the day, uh, actually for me, you know, the injury, it wasn't painful when I did it. I don't know how or why or whatever. I wanted to get back on my bike and I realized the thing, you know, I had no control over my lower leg, you know, and there was a lot of, you know, weird shit going on in there, you know, like crunching and grinding when I tried to get back on the bike. Questioned it and I was like, okay, I might have just broke my leg here. And that was February 28th when I was 15 years old. And I was... Nine months in plaster. Nine months? Nine months. They didn't want to plate it because I was 15 years old. They didn't want the risk of infection. They kept the wound open. They put me in traction um, and just said, we'll let it heal naturally because of my age. I'm still growing. I'm still a teenager. I don't know what um, sort of service that uh, MOT that uh, DeSalle has had, um, whether he's had it plated or whether they're saying the same kind of thing. But 
I was in plaster, I was in a, a solid plaster just above the knee for, yeah, probably seven or eight months. And then they, they took that off and I had a, a removable cast that was like a mold that you could zip on, zip off, you know, at least get in the bath and, you know, ugh, relax at night and whatever. I could bear weight, um, maybe because of the nature of the injury, I don't know. But um, yeah, I was nine months in, in out of action uh, with, with a cast, with a plaster cast. So those things aren't overnight. Um, I don't know if, like but with the femur, for instance, you can put a, a rod down the middle and it's fixed. Yeah. Um, like how being the tip fib, the fib is the, the smaller bone at the back. That just has to heal naturally. And, uh, and the other one, yeah, you can probably plate the shin, you know, the tibia. But again, it's, uh, it's not a pleasant process. Well, Kawasaki needs somebody. Whether yeah. the, the cell kind of transfer, which is obviously complicated because it leaves boss without any riders at all. Exactly. Uh, they, and they're taking yeah. a team off the grid. And they have also, you know, committed financially to be a part of the championship. Yeah. It's probably not going to be smooth, smoothly uh, executed or, or no. sorted out, that one. Um, lastly, you know, HRC as well. Uh, you know, Brian Bogers pretty much coming to the end of his tenure there, you'd say, next to Tim Geijer. You know, maybe a bit more of a demand for results. Uh, Calvin Valandran's still not racing in MX2. Uh, the name... I've heard associated with with the bike, uh, Jeremy Sewer as well. Uh, oh, you know, really? he's done two seasons. This is his second season MXGP. Perhaps he could be racing in red next year. Uh, you know, he's doing well in the championship, third in the championship, just by one point, as we said. But um, you know, for me, Paul, I mean, he's a fantastic guy to deal with. Uh, you know, very kind of intelligent, very smart, um, and he seems to be made of rubber because I think you know, of all the the guys in the top ten of the championship, he hasn't missed a Grand Prix since he started in in the World Championship. Yeah, and that's unbelievable because um, you know, like most riders, has had some pretty sort of uh, big offs, um, but rarely has he suffered the consequences of that. And uh, but I had no idea until you just pointed out then that uh, he's been linked with the move to red, um, but. My concern is when you talk Honda and HRC, Calvin Villanreal. Yeah, he has to move up. They're not going to get rid of Tim, um, and so whoever is his, I thought the natural progression would have been Villanreal four fifty teammate. You know, whatever. Well, guy's just contracted, isn't he? So he's yeah, there, he's red, but you know, and he could be well on the way to to winning the world championship this year. So HRC have to think, well, what do we want for a second rider? And Villanreal would be ideally placed for that kind of young investment. He's a big kid. Um, you know, he showed he could run the, run the pace in Grand Prix. He hasn't been so lucky. Um, and he's one of, I think, all, nearly 10 riders that have to jump out of MX2 next year mm -hmm. due to hitting that 23 age ceiling. So there's a, there's a few pickings around for teams that maybe want to try and, you know, invest in that, that kind of, you know, Henry Jacoby today as well, another one who has to jump out of the category. Uh, Adam Sterry. Um, I wonder if they'll end up in the same, <laughs> same team next year. Uh, Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, here's, here's the other thing. Um, Villanreal goes up, let's say, yeah, well, he has to go up at MXGP anyway. Uh, whether he's at Honda or not, who knows? Um, I don't know the details, the ins and outs. I don't know who he has been linked to, whether he's got something, you know, provisionally lined up. But Mitch Evans, you've got, okay, he was out injured today. He started the championship seventh today. He's still seventh in the championship. But um, is he a possible candidate to fill the shoes? No, not, not for MXGP. But for, for an MX MX2 with Team HRC. But let's not forget, last year, he finished second in the MX1 Championship in Australia behind Dean Ferris, and he was a 450 rider at the Motocross Nations. I think he prefers the bigger bike, 
he was on our studio show at Natalie after getting third in uh, Patagonia the first round. And I asked him the question, you're a 450 rider, why MX2? And he went, I just thought it'd be the best place to get noticed because MX1, MXGP is tough. And there are a lot of riders, it's stacked. You know, um, not saying that MX2 isn't, but it's probably a little bit easier to find your way in that when you're used to riding a 450. So potentially he could jump from 114 to HRC, but then do HRC want to support a factory program in MX2? There's well, the question, yeah. you know, are they looking to, you know, cut back and just put everything into MXGP or are, is there still room for maneuver for uh, an MX2 rider or well, an MX2 team? That's what we thought would happen at the end of last year. We thought Flandern would be pushed up as a third bike even in, in the MXGP mm. class, but he stayed down in MX2. I think they saw maybe some potential for him to do so well uh, and take a title, at least fight Prado for it. But, you know, looking at Red Bull KTM next year, Prado, Cairoli, Hurlings on the same bike and, you know, in the same team, it's going to be, you know, somebody like, KRT will want someone like DeSalle and, and Febro. You know, you're going to need a potent lineup just to sort of mix in between those KTMs. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It'll be, it'll be cool to see in the next few weeks what press releases surface. I want to know if there are any more teams lined up on the horizon to fill the void for riders moving from MX2 to MXGP yeah. and, and what level they're coming in at. That's true um, because if you're. Uh, because you're running out of rides and riders, you know, if we're not careful. And. Um, well, of course, in MX2, if you're hitting a 23 age limit, you're not, you can't find sanctuary in EMX250 either because that's the same same age boundary on it. So, exactly. it's uh, it's really it has that effect of filtering the best, you know, you know, or whatever circumstances there are in people getting rides, uh, you know, people can cherry pick the riders. Mm. It's, well, your factory teams at the moment are obviously Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha, KTM, and Husqvarna. We need Suzuki, Suzuki being back. out. We need Suzuki back. Yeah, next um, not the year after apparently. Two thousand and twenty-one maybe is, is being optimistic. Okay. but it'll be good to see the other bikes back. And then obviously you look at this year, your major satellite teams. Uh, in from Honda's point, you've got your one one four. You've got your Honda Red Motor, Asimota, uh, Yamaha. You've got Wilvo, um, KTM. Pick any team. Uh, you know Husky. There's a few teams as well. But is there room for more teams? what kind of investors do we have you know looking forward to say i'm a really good fan big fan of this guy this guy this guy and they just come out of the woodwork and go we have workshops we have trucks we have everything ready to go we want to support you because we are fans of you um that's what's going to be needed i think well listen paul thanks uh, ever so much again for talking to us and um, we're wrapping things up here in germany uh, you're flying to the other side of the world Indonesia next, um, but we'll uh, we'll check in again. Um, I think uh, when we're coming back, the Grand Prix of Czech Republic. Yeah. Uh, next month. Yeah. Fortunately, we're. Uh, this was the last of our three in a rows. You yeah, know, we've six, had three six of those. Ra- six races in seven weeks. Yeah, but we, you know, we had three Grand Prix with uh, Matsley, Valkenswa, Trentino. We had three with Lombardia, uh, Portugal, France. We've just been three on the road: Russia, Latvia, Germany. Um, and fortunately, yeah, the next two are just two on the bounce, the two Asian rounds, Indonesia and, and Asia Samarang. Um, but yeah, back to double headers, and then uh, obviously the, the final race at the end of the year, the Motor Cross Nation. So, mm. no doubt, there's no downtime though <laughs> between now and then. <laughs> Thanks again, Paul. Thanks, Adam. I'm still